Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martin Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. And I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the one and only Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing, sir? Good day, Lindsay. Um, as we had earlier shared our um, we, what spaces we are in, uh, in a good space and um, always looking forward to a Saturday evening to this kind of conversation and to your presence. Um, and it does help in my preparation. As I said to you earlier on, I had a blessed day having been at an ecumenical um, conference today. Um, and that has, you know, really lifted my spirit a, a little more than I suppose I was when I woke up this morning. Mm. So, so, ultimately, I'm improving in my health. So, thank you very much for all your praise and concern. Um, and you, Lindsay? I'm well. I'm well. I, I did ask for a little bit of a recap of your sermon from the people who attended church. And it was apparent that last week's discussion really did inform it. And, and I'm appreciative of that. Today is, of course, the fourth Sunday of Easter. And the theme you have extracted is God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So before we go into that, it's also Mother's Day in South Africa and in many parts of the world. And yet it's kind of interesting that our relationships with our mothers start with tears and cries. Yes. Yes. I think that that um is such spot such a spot on observation um, because tears at in, in that particular context and I think it could teach us about the other context that we grow up into is unless there's tears and pain there's no life and unless there's tears and, and the cry of the baby we know that there may be no life if we don't hear that. And then I think they ultimately, there is the tears of joy of, of the miracle of conception and birth. Um, uh, yeah, so tears are a very important part of, I, th I suppose one could say, of all of life, mm. uh, starting from you know when 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 a when a when a wife a mother a spouse a woman finds that she's uh, busy conceiving just the news of that uh, depending on her personal circumstances mm. could also bring tears of joy. It's one of those weird ones where I I have a a strange memory of when my daughter was born where you get told so much and you watch on movies and read in books and everything this anticipation of having the child and then when they have the child then it's like this emotional outburst and immediately like falling in love and you know all that thing that that hollywood thing didn't happen to me and i don't think it happened to monique either like the overwhelming emotion did come eventually i can only speak from my own perspective um, a couple of days later, like once I got to know or maybe got over the fact that I was a father. Um, and then like just 
your heart kind of jumps a little bit bigger and like you have this it was really like full body there was full body contact love um but it didn't happen in the delivery room and it was a bit strange as well because monique had the skin-to-skin contact with with isla first yes um so they put the on the mother with adam it was kind of the other way around like i wheeled him out to a different room and then i had the skin-to-skin contact first but that be that as it may um yeah like i didn't have that emotional connection so it's 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 more i i feel i can extrapolate from that 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 tear those tears are a one-way street it's from the child to the mother sometimes you'll have the mother crying but that will be maybe just the overwhelming way or at least the the moment of childbirth the, the just the body everything the body goes through it's not really like a, a a cry of love you know well i suppose it's a cry of relief that mm. being able to bring a life into being and you were the conduit mm. given that you had to have a body that can deliver can carry and deliver can conceive carry and deliver mm. m- must itself be part of a bigger picture and then everything is focused on that little bo- little life that comes out uh, with curiosity we look i mean it's just a mixture of things isn't it um mm. we 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 go in and we assume that what other people have told us will be the same as us and are there are lots of similarities one doesn't deny that but there's a uniqueness for everybody mm. um you know at, uh, at the time that we had tandi we'd already gone through a, a miscarriage mm. um where the fetus was was all mangled up when it came out i still have images of that in my mind uh and of course the health of my wife um then we struggled to fall pregnant and that brought about its own level of, of of what's his name of emotion um and deep conversation with god um and then you know the fact that we were able to fall pregnant with tandi mm-hmm. and then still both of them uh threatened abortion mm. that had to be medically um manage and with caution how how my wife would be so you know there we were with this first baby having lost the first um pregnancy and i happened to see on the other side of the room a lady who was in the other ward and i went to say hello to her being the pastor that i am mm. and she was mm-hmm. lying very rustig and i said so is this your first one she said no this is my fifth one Oh my gosh. <laughs> quite laid back about the fact that she just brought five children into the world and she was now being the you know closed up if I can use that language. Mm. Um and yeah so the, the the it is it's it's interesting how um I think we must identify where we are we must identify our unique experiences our emotional responses our other responses to to this reality and then we've got to get down to sit now the responsibility of raising this life mm. and while we're talking about this we have this internationally renowned conversation in america um oh yes about abortion and 
about all of that. And it's, it's a very difficult conversation to have when, you know, you are looking forward as a couples to have children. People in other contexts may not have intended to have a child and so would not know how to raise it. So what then becomes the way out? How do we deal with that? Yeah. And so the issue of abortion now becomes a reality. And there's this whole debate about it. So all of our conversations are connected somehow, isn't it? It, it um, is. I, I was going to ask, what is the Anglican Church of South Africa's stance on abortion? Look, we, we, we obviously look at the context of that conception. Mm. Uh, if it was if it was a a person who'd come to see me and said, "Father, I was raped," um, and the rape happened last night, and let's say it was within uh, now, I also believe faith doesn't exclude science. My question yeah. would be: Does having sex <clears throat> and uh, unprotected sex or being raped, and you don't have any protection when you're being raped? The the assumption is built on that action, then immediately uh, it becomes the baby. Now, that's where there's a critical part, because there's I don't know what the scientific part is. I don't know when sperm and ovary come together before the egg is, is fertilized and so on. So is the 72-hour period scientifically worked out the kind of say that there is no life there to prevent any life from happening? we would then use what's the 72-hour pill, I think it is, that you use as a form of, 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 of prevention. So, so we would say, we would really be struggling to say, so when did conception, when did the conception actually happen? On the night when she was raped, right there and then? Or is it within <clears throat> 72 hours we have to act to ensure that it doesn't happen? Mm. That uh, <clears throat> sperm and, and, and what's the name is not happening. So, the rape would be an, an issue, a contraception or, or, or the method of the 72, what's the name? Incest would be another context. Mm-hmm. If a woman says she was raped by her husband, I haven't dealt with that yet, and she didn't want to have a baby uh, and the possibility that she's pregnant, that's something we probably have to look at because spousal rape is an issue. Yeah. Uh, because... Because I think the whole issue is the violation of another human body. It's interesting how people say we shouldn't, we're pro-life, so we shouldn't abort. But then the woman's body is violated by the rapist, mm. uh, by a um, family member uh, causing incense. So how can you say that you're pro-life, but you are not protecting the very life that should be protected as well? So our view would be really to look at the ethics of the context and the story. I mean, you can only believe what people tell you. If they're telling you lies, then, you know, the, 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 the fruit of lies will be born in their life. You only acting pastorally um, with a conscience um, of, yes, I'm still acting to preserve life, but based on what do I do that? So I don't think we have enough conversations about these things, Lindsay, in the church. No, um, no, no, wonder, no, there isn't. <laughs> no wonder we cry crocodile tears. <laughs> I can see you desperately trying to bring this one back onto onto script. Uh, but 
I, I, obviously, my view on this is super liberal. I am beyond liberal on this, where it's like, if a woman wants to abort a pregnancy, um, it is her right to, because she has reasons that you don't need to either agree with or even hear. Um, if she feels the need, uh, the, she, the compulsion to do something to her body that an adult human can make a decision for themselves of what to do with their body, we should allow for safe areas for her to exercise those freedoms. No. Look, I, I, I don't dispute that. Um, I think that if the woman is married, obviously the spouse will have to be part of the conversation, but respect the fact that it's her body that mm -hmm. we're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't have ownership of my wife's body, yeah. but we do have responsibility to each other. Um, mm. And also, I think the, the issue is that there's always a hesitancy in, in a certain amount of people who would come to you and say, um, I'm, I'm considering abortion. Am I following the right way? Yeah. I, you know, mm. I, I, I would even go as far as saying murder is an option, but is, the right, is it the right option? Wow. So I would say, wow. you know, if you wanting to face the consequences of because every option has consequences. So the same thing I would say when it comes to to people who are not ready for have not made a decision but are really grappling with what to do um, and try and and see what the long term stuff is, but also not be coward and avoid the options that are like you know abortion is an option. And and an option then having been considered become can become a choice, and then you can do what that you've, you've dealt with. <coughs> Question of course is, will you be able to also live with that particular? Because at the end of the day, the person must make a decision without judgment uh, pointed towards that person, because they're seeking advice, they're seeking counsel, they're seeking a way to make up their mind, but. I would rather that we have the conversation, but, but you know, is it going to happen within the first 72 hours of conception? Is the question. Yeah. Like, my, my, the thing, or at least it has come up, it's a point that I, maybe I can claim for my own. Maybe I inferred it from some other source. Um, but that whole pro life situation is, is not really pro life, it's just pro yeah. birth. Uh, because most countries, most people don't care about that life once it actually comes here, um, which goes to show in just look at even in the US where this conversation is happening, where it's like a potential reality that those kinds of freedoms can be taken away from half of the US population. And it's like they have some of the worst social um, services in the world. Um, this is not really a reliable program that can shield a poverty-stricken child from harm. Um, and it's even worse in South Africa. So it's like you're not actually pro-life when you're saying pro-life. It's just a little label that was granted upon us, spoken upon um, like by, by some author. But let me just say, you know, I did say, um, you know, um, murder is an option. But but 
I hope people understand that it's 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 not an option I would choose under any circumstances. But but I would also want to say, based on what you've said now, that when you are concerned about pro-birth, but you 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 then neglect human life that is, or any form of life that is, then aren't you isn't isn't neglect tantamount to kind of a murder? Indeed. Kind of a, you know, so, so, so uh, it, it, it's not as drastic as I said it earlier, but now that you say it about how, how we neglect life, no wonder we need God to wipe out tears. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, so the tears thing is, is, is really amazing. Um, actually, I just want to close this off by saying that um, to all the mothers out there, please do enjoy your day um, and tune Absolutely. in for the rest of this conversation. It's going to get really good. Uh, sorry for assaulting <coughs> with a little bit of rape talk or a lot of rape talk, um, abortion talk, all of the heavy stuff. At least we got it done up front. But please um, enjoy your day. And even to those who do not have children, if you are a woman or you have the plumbing that can create life, that means you probably came with the same emotional um, and other skills that come along with preserving life and nurturing life. And you too are celebrated today. Absolutely. And I think I just want to say there is no way when we talk about Mother's Day, we avoid any woman-related issues, mm. even mm. when it is rape. Mm. Um, so mothers, you are tough enough to handle the conversation, Lindsay and I included. Um, uh, your voices are very, very necessary at all times and at most times. And in the matter of um, honoring the, 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 the bodies and the lives of women are a key thing. And your Mother's Day celebration has got much to say about many topics. Uh, uh, regarding human life and creation. Mm. Indeed. And on that note, we go to what is the second reading, actually, which is from John's Revelation, chapter 7. I'm going to go to verse 17, because that's the one that is really intriguing. The reading is from 9 to 17, but verse 17 reads, The lamb in the center near the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs filled with the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So I read this, and I was like, and there will be no more death. That was, my mind just read that. And then I realized that the line that I was thinking about, which is from the sinking scene of the Titanic in the movie Titanic, um, where the minister actually reads Revelations 21, Verse 4, which goes, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That was from the King James Version, just by the way. Um, and and then yeah. I was thinking about this idea of, of wiping tears and why there's this interplay within Revelation. Um, and then there's actually more in Isaiah 25, I think it is. There's another mention of God wiping away tears. So what is the symbolism of tears in the Bible to your knowledge? 
Um, you know, I had in a in a congregation some time back um, gone to pray for a woman who asked me to pray because she was going to go into hospital for a medical procedure. And I asked her now out of, you know, it's, uh, you know, the sake of interest, what was the procedure about? And she said, because my tear dikes have become polluted and now I'm not able to, to shed tears. Mm. And I'm, 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 my understanding was that the tear dikes are smaller than the head of a pin. And when I thought about the making of the human body with two um, parts that we don't even see, but we, we, we see the evidence of what it does for the body, for the emotions, for the expressions of joy and gladness, um, then tears are a gift from God. Tears, besides the, 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 the biological things that it does, such as, you know, clear the dust from our eyes and, and all of that, um, that it's attached to our emotions. Uh, it is a way in which you and I identify with another's pain. Um, I had, I suppose, one of the most authentic experiences of my life was when we were, 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 were um, being, when we were in, incarcerated during 1985 and we had now been to the second day, we've now been to the um, court in Weinberg. Uh, while some of us were waiting our chance to get into the witness stand, we were down in the holding cells, which, mm. <laughs> interestingly enough, the bailiffs chose not to close because they didn't seem to think we were prisoners. I went into the holding cell, um, and one of the toughest amongst us, at least when he was speaking to the police and so on, received a letter or a card from his fiance, um, and I don't know what the message was, but Peter was so emotional when he read this. And this was now my second day having been in a holding cell in the local police station in Athlone, and then having been to Paulsmore my first time inside there. This made me weep so much. I mean, I've never wept the way I wept by identifying with Peter. Of course, my own stuff was all involved in that. Mm. I suppose <coughs> if I would today even say, um, if I think about it now, was my tears also subconsciously connected to what was going on in our country, what, what was happening to our people? Mm. Um, Hear a few words from a loved one uh, to, a, to a person in the same context I was. And the only, and I dare to say this, the only language 
that I could identify with his tears. Mm. And I can tell you just how freeing I felt. I had another out of that. And so I'm, I value the gift of tears, even when they are tears that are wept because I'm feeling sad. Mm. I often, when I pray, I cry too. Um, so I, I really believe um, that tears are God's gift to us beyond measure, mm. uh, a biological mm. gift that taps into our emotional circumstances, but also taps in with the community we are in. So it helps us to share each other's burdens. Mm. Um, I'm often a little bit disturbed when somebody tells another person, Ahmed, don't cry. Why not? Mm. You know, why should people not cry? Um, why are we uncomfortable with tears? Mm. Uh, I, 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 you know, when I do watch what is the the the, the South Korean series of their, their stories that they tell, often tears are very much part of it. Mm. And uh, sometimes we feel foolish when we're crying for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very necessary part of it. Can you imagine that sister who had to go to a hospital because she could not cry? Mm. Tears are one of those those ultimately uniting human characteristics where it's like we all are born we all have belly buttons we all bleed we all poo um and we all can cry but like not all of us can create life you know not all of us can feed that life there's many things that differentiate between like anatomical lines uh but Tears is everybody cries. Every human on this planet cries for various reasons. And there's obviously been a lot of tears uh, around my house in the last couple of months. Um, And especially in the last week uh, with with Natalie's departure. Um, And she is one of those people. She didn't want to have a scene at the airport and everything. Um, And I was like, but why? It's like you have to go through that. You have to experience that. You have have to feel the thing that you feel so that when you feel not that way anymore, or at least if something's important enough, you're going to be sad if you're leaving it behind. Uh, but you can't feel relief. You can't have closure without actually going through the situation, you know? So so then why does, do you think that um, this author, having had this tremendous, this revelation from God about what was going on in heaven. Why would God be wiping every tear mm. from the eyes? If tears meant so much to us in our earthly state mm. and in our understanding, the commendation of ourselves into the eternal realm of God. Why would tears be wiped away from every eye? Why would every tear, every tear tells a story? Mm. So is every tear on earth related? And is the context that 
that John is writing to where he's encouraging people under severe um, threat of death because of their faith. On a daily basis, they were confronted by that. Either you bow to the emperor or and you deny who Jesus is for you. Mm. Were that with those was it was at every tier of suffering he was relating this to because in the text he says he leads them to be filled with water of life. Mm. And tears mm. and water of life have a, have a connection, isn't it? It's about water, it's about the liquidity in our bodies. Do mm. we 70 what 70% of us is water? Um so here we're drinking water of life as a symbol of life in eternity. Were the tears that God will wipe away, the every tears related only particularly to suffering? Or mm. are there no tears in heaven? And are tears only related to the earthly realm where when in heaven or in the realm of God, the eternal realm of God, we may not have any, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a relief. We read those texts that you refer to in Isaiah, that <coughs> is also in the 21st chapter of Revelation as a relief that in heaven we're not going to need to cry anymore. But this is normally read at funeral services. Mm. Indeed, as comfort. And he did obviously relate the life outside of heaven to suffering. And there's no tears. He's not talking about tears of joy at all. Because why would you want to erase joy? And that's like, it's, it's a weird way to look at the world um i I think it was i forget which professor it was economics professor who was saying that some of he was like listing the characteristics that or at least the the steps to success um because he's founded a bunch of businesses been on the board of a bunch of successful businesses quite a successful trader as well um like really successful business person. He's quite frank about his wins and losses and everything. And he was saying that to be successful and to live a good life, you need to have a certain level of atheism because he he, he related it to empathy. Because you can only have empathy, true empathy for someone. And I, I really felt that because it's part of my own personal moral code. Um, if you don't believe that this life is just a dress rehearsal for something better. You know, and that that's always been like my central thing is so many people do horrible things, not like like outwardly horrible, not like stuff that will get them locked up, but they just bad. They're not good people, uh, but they are devout Christians. And it's always about them thinking that there's some there's a list of things that they need to do according to the church, what the minister is telling them, um, what they read in the Bible and whatever. And as long as they follow those steps, they'll get to heaven and then everything will be awesome in heaven. And then they just treat everybody else who they come across that's not on their path or a stepping stone to their great success as like nothing. Well, I should weep because of you saying that. Because when I look at and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, I I respond to that as this shepherding God, you know, the one of the gospel mm. who recognizes on a personal 
on a personal level, um, my 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 weakness, my sorrow, my sadness, and and he comes to the rescue, and he comes to um, help me deal with my sadnesses. Mm. What he gives me through that experience is not condemnation and judgment to others. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I must I must weep if I look at a brother and sister and don't see around them the self the, 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 the creative work of God in them and as well as the saving work of God around them. That then gives me perspective as to how I need to treat them. Mm. This is a brother and a sister whom God made for himself in his image, breathed his life into them. That's one of the tenets of the scripture as we understand it, but also sent his son to give his life as a ransom for, for, for many. Therefore, the same God um, is the one who shepherds the lost to try and bring them in and who seeks in his eternal realm to wipe away, as it were, the sorrows and the sufferings evident in tears in the eyes um, that experienced in, 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 in earth. Now, for me to then go around saying, well, I'm blessed with all the things that God has done for me, but don't see that what God has done for me is done also for others, even if I may not recognize the responses to him. I, I may not see the evidence of their faith, but, you know, am I supposed to judge them? Mm. Because the evidence of their faith, I don't, can, cannot see with the, my earthly eyes. Well, then maybe I should begin to look with, with the deeper wisdom at them rather than to, to place a wall of judgment between me and them. So I, we, I weep at a, Christian, a so-called Christianity that does what you have just um, pictured mm. for us, uh, that stands in, in condemnation. Uh, on mm. I mean, a last week's sermon that I preached was based on Jesus asking um, uh, Peter three times whether he loves him. On, on, and if he truly does, then the impact of loving him is to feed, tend, feed. Uh, the the mm. lesson we read in that in that um, context of liturgy was Paul, who has whose religion, whose religious perspective, made him become a one who threatened and caused the deaths of those who believed differently to him. So, what kind of religion am I going to uh, want to be part of? Certainly not the one that Saul uh, was um, was wanting to uphold but the one that Jesus did when he uh, encountered Peter in the way that he did. And there are several things there, one of which um, is the hospitality aspect of the Jesus who said, come and have breakfast, uh, hmm. that, um, you know, caring for the well-being, the physical well-being of his disciples as well. So, yeah, I would, I, I weep for a Christianity that only stands in judgment over others. There is no profound witness uh, in all of that. 
But you see, sadly, people claim that space mm. um, because for them, faith must be so certain that if they, if they, if, if and, and, and if, if their faith, if, if faith has a certainty about it, then it's about legislation of the faith. Mm. Whereas faith is the work of grace and God's love. That is why he is the shepherd. Mm. But here the, the gospel comes and the gospel is happens to be one of those that gets weaponized by unscrupulous ministers who want to cause division. And it's according to John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. I will take you to, uh, I'll actually read from the beginning. At the time of the festival, at the time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So then that creates that us and them. Because Jesus is plainly saying there that like these homies are not going to go to heaven. Um, and that, that's, that's just my read. Like, do, do you believe that everybody makes it to heaven? <laughs> or do you believe well, that? I, I would say I believe that that's the longing of our eternal creator and savior. Mm. And that this conversation Jesus is having is challenging the people who have chosen to antagonize what he was saying, who were his obvious opponents because they held on to a kind of um, a, 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 a arrogance in what they believe. This concept mm. of Messiah mm. was, is quite a challenging one because who is the person that is not told to us? How that person comes, from where the person comes, is all in the minds of, 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 the, of the Jewish folk who were looking for that Messiah to liberate them from the oppressions that they were experiencing. They looked to the figure of David as somebody. In the Maccabees, there's um, one of the sons of the Maccabees also who was a guerrilla fighter. They thought that was the way that the Messiah would come. Jesus goes into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, and they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Hosanna in the highest. Um, because he had about him at that, in that particular event, messianic um, uh, um, nuances that they thought they could latch onto as the one who was going to save them. But he chose to stand in trial. He mm. chose to go to the cross <laughs> to die. And it's an interesting, after, in the fourth Sunday of Easter, the, the one who goes to the cross and the one who 
is raised from the dead is the one who is the shepherding Messiah. So the quality of the Messianic nuance of Jesus is the shepherding. He shepherds us through the valley of the shadow of death and through death. And he brings us and he shepherds us into the new life. And we're reading this as it were post, not post Easter, but post the Sunday of Easter in the season of Easter. And we are mm. saying that there are still people who may get lost along life's way, that the one who died and rose again for us now continues to go in search of them. So, <laughs> excuse me. So Jesus was then hitting back at them and saying, what is the quality of those who belong to me? What, what, would they, what, what kind of quality would they have? Would they have, when we hear them, when, when they hear his voice, what resonates with them? Um, one, he knows, I know them and they follow me. That kind of relationship that Jesus is bonding with in terms of those who seek to follow. Those who are still holding the position that he's not. Jesus, I think in this way, the way that John writes it is to get them to think about mm. what camp are you really in? If you're opposing to me, okay, so you oppose me. This is what my sheep and I have going between us. What's in your camp? Why are you in your camp? Um, why are you holding fast? Why are you still looking for the Messiah? When yet I, I come, I'm the good shepherd. I can look for those that are lost uh, rather than stand and criticize and judge uh, and 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 not sure about what I believe. So I think the conversation is about challenging their position as they were challenging Jesus's position, and by making his position where it was, gives them a chance to reflect. Hopefully, reflect on on that. Well, we know that they were those who said crucify him. They mm. wanted him dead. Um, uh, I mean, uh, that passage that we read in, I think it was Palm Sunday's passion narrative this mm. year, came from the uh, Eugene Peterson, the, the message, rid the earth of this man was the way in which uh, Eugene translated that. Yeah. So I think Jesus' narrative, he's uh, in this discourse, well, the narrative conversation he was having with him was really saying, this is who I am. Where are you? What mm. can really part of look what's happening where i am is it part mm. of an invitation indirectly but then i have to ask the question about the purpose of sorrow then like within the bible within the way because because jesus never jesus and god even in the in the old testament they never act before like parents you get helicopter parents. Sometimes I was also a helicopter parent uh, in the past. Um, but even now with, with my son, where I see him doing something silly and I can see the logical conclusion, like he's on the laminate flooring that was just washed in his room and he's playing tug with his sister who's got at least four times him on weight. So if she lets go or he loses his grip, he's going to fall and maybe split his head open on the cupboard. And I'll act preemptively. 
or if he's climbing a tree or something or jumping over stones to get to his aunties like he did last week um it'll be like make sure of your steps first so i try and leave him the empowerment to do what he was doing but also just remind him that things can go wrong if you don't make sure of your movements so like god and jesus never do that <laughs> it's like <laughs> the messiah comes to save it's always like this messiah this is literally what the messiah complex means like they always are presented as the saviors of something like god intervenes after the shit went down like he 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 i said ship <laughs> yeah um, i hear you he's he, he he brought the red sea in on the on the egyptians while they were in pursuit of the israelites you know like like couldn't he have done something before that to like maybe not have the army pursue them? Um, let, let's let, let's use the the narrative of um of revelation Mm. John is sent to the island of Patmos. Mm-hmm. He's the pastor of the church there, and a government has taken over to in, to now um, the 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 despotic emperor is wanting everybody to worship him because his attitude is that he's a god. Christians have got a different view, but before them stands death. Now what? was this pastor teaching the church then as he saw events unfolding mm. would the teaching about how to be a christian what happens when we face death and suffering how are we meant to deal with that not have been a precursor to preparing them that how, i mean one of the things that we need to talk about as christians is death mm. um we don't know the kind of deaths we're going to die um but we need to live each day as if today would be our last because we are you know for me the essence of or the presence rather of death is that i may live um because i will face death i will go through a passage called death whatever that may be so it's it's really in a way saying now that you know you're going to die how are you going to live so in a way <laughs> death is that preempting um what's the name of saying take life seriously in such a way that you are able to be joyful about it you're able to learn from it you're able to live in better relationships with one another you're able to build a better world for those who follow um you look to the the one who created the world and look at what are the other tenants of that of that creation um and so on so i think when we look at that the man then goes to patmos mm. as the vision and writes the story back to his people to try and encourage them how then they must face suffering which they never faced before mm. <coughs> now one could go into the argument why did god allow because we see god as this policeman of the universe yes yes that you know? is the the depiction so and so our our theology about about god needs to be really challenged the words we use and all of that because when we say he's like this it means he's going to act in this way in our human minds when god doesn't act like we assume he must act based on the word or definition we've given ah now we have a problem with god but hey who translated god you did mm. and therefore you live with the consequences of your interpretation of 
of who God is. Well, who is God? Um, and what had God then done with the world? So, so there are things that arose and we're still looking for answers to them, if I can put mm. it like the research continues. But I want to take us back to the Genesis passage of Scripture. I know that the story isn't, there isn't historicity in the story, and yet it's a vehicle of history. Mm. Why, when God was saying to Adam and Eve, or to Adam, <coughs> God went into the garden looking for Adam, and Adam was hiding. Why was Adam adding? He wouldn't tell God, and God said, because you ate of the fruit, didn't you? So God, in the story, God taught them about the pitfall. Mm. But they still fell into the pitfall and would not own up to it. The consequences that comes with that. Then there is the saving work. Of God. So I don't think, in other words, that for me, the saving work of God is to restore creation to what it was meant to be before we went into the pit when we did not listen and want our own way. Now, take little Adam. Mm. I called him Adama the other day, which means humanity. Yes. A little boy <laughs> explores his world. There are dangers. Now, did he learn it from you climbing trees? Or did he learn it from his mom sliding on the floor? Or is that just what children do? That's just the impulse. Yeah. And, and, and we may catch them after the fact, or they may come to us crying because. Now, if be, it's, it's not the hiding deserving. Punishment deserving, but it's it's a lesson that must be learned. I got Fortune punished that for that stuff. We save the person from the next. I got, I got punished for that. I used to get beaten for no, closing no. my mommy's dress. <laughs> yeah, that was the 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 narrative of the time that you and I lived in, where where punishment was dished out. They they were living with a colonial mindset that read the Bible as a book of punishment. Yeah. That, that that's how they understood God. God punished you for every little thing that you did, that you even unknowingly did, and suddenly you know you're gonna you're bound for hell. You get blixen because you fell out the tree. But, <laughs> you, because you chose to fall out of the tree. You could climb the tree, but fall out, you're in bigger trouble then. So I think there's a that's why, Lindsay, your conversation with me, my conversation with you, this podcast for me is an important conversation that I hope when people do listen to it, they are encouraged to have conversations along this line and better than, than what we are doing uh, creatively within their families, within every, talk about these things. Because that's the way we learn. That's the way the world becomes mm -hmm. bigger because I see your perspective and you see mine. Whether we agree with every part of it is, is not um, the issue the issue is we can even learn from what we disagree with disagree about but then we are we are this conversation prepares us because a lot of the things we're talking about are the con the, the conversations that are happening out there um this gives me an opportunity to enrich 
what I need to preach about tomorrow. Mm. Um, how do I look at the text that, that you, you showed me? So when we look at it, did, is John deliberately therefore saying Jesus in one camp and the others in another camp? And do mm. preachers then teach that if you're in my camp, you're on G in Jesus' camp. But if you're not part of my camp, you're not. You're not. But that's not what this text is talking about. Mm. The text is showing that there was critical opposition to Jesus coming from a religious body, a religious mindset that mm. was looking for a particular type of Messiah they didn't even know, but made up as they understood or thought they understood coming from the prophets and all those who were talking about a messianic figure that was coming to save Israel. Um, mm. And we must know that the, the history of Israel had been one when they did have God as their savior, mm. but then they screwed it up because they decided, look, we rather going to follow what we see here amongst the other uh, neighboring countries. And then they got themselves into trouble as a result of that. So then <laughs> we're to help them out again. So that journey of exile and liberation, exile and liberation was a constant journey. That's where the prophetic um, ministry happened. That's where the whole kingship stuff happened. You know, all mm. the things that, that Jesus fully became, pre king, priest, and prophet. Yeah, um, I, just wanna, I just want to state uh, my distance from, from, from your statements where <laughs> it's like, Geopolitics, even ancient geopolitical situations have nothing to do with God or their faith. <laughs> well, um, 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 you know, I beg to differ because I believe everything that we are on about is about God and us. True. But then it uh, kind of segues neatly into another point that I was going to make about tears where, and, and this idea of like uh, a messianic figure. Um, and how that can kind of be weaponized sometimes, where sure. in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verse 36 to 43, uh, so Paul, or Peter, um, raises Tabitha from the dead. So he raises her from the dead, but first he gets there and everyone's crying. And Jesus, when he does it with Lazarus, like he first cries with Mary Magdalene. Before he goes, be, like knowing that he's going to raise this dude from the dead, um, he first indulges in the drama. So, what what what's up with that? Where what what's your reading on that idea of Christianity, where the person with the power who knows what they're going to do first commiserates with the people who is about to just remove all their sorrows? A person who embraces the responsibility of power, like Jesus, he is one who is in solidarity with those uh, that he has to help with his power. Um, mm. A person who embraces power as a position does not look, in my view, mm. with kindness, has no sense of empathy with those who then are, are re resonating with powerlessness. Jesus was not in denial about what death does, death of a loved one does to people. He then could therefore empathize with them. 
Mm. Uh, now, mm. some people read the he wept as because they didn't believe, so that's why he wept because they were unbelieving. But I think it misses the point that Jesus, he, that he was close to this family. Yes. Uh, he was, you know, so, so why would he not share in their hearts? So in their, even though he knew what he was going to do, he needed for them part of the journey to resurrection, to acceptance through the believing process, is to acknowledge the impact of death, mm. which brings tears. And Jesus was, I think Jesus was all about process. Jesus was not just about quick, instantaneous, because what, what do you learn from quick and instantaneous? But what you learn from processing becomes far more authentic and experience to grow you uh, as a person. So how would, for me, if he could not identify with my, my sorrow, which, mm. he, which he could, how will I be able to now suddenly celebrate the impact of a miracle? Because I think it's processed towards that. Um, teaching me, maybe, just maybe, we come to understand that the God who made us weeps with us. That's why he's not afraid to wipe out tears when the time is going to come for that uh, in heaven. Uh, because he has been able to weep with us whilst we were going through the earthly challenges and rejoice with us in weeping when we were happy. But so I think, now, and I want to just fr phrase it again like I phrased it, the one who has power with a sense of responsibility will empathize with those for whom he's going to use the power to help. Mm. He will empathize, he will be in solidarity with their pain as he brings them to the point of um, of victory, joy, whatever it is he's going to do. But the one who takes power as a position would lack the, um, the, the way to empathize with those for who his position should be helping. Mm. Interesting. That was a good response. That was a very good response. And I think that's a great way um, to close off, at least from my side. Um, I just want to leave you with one, one little thought, one little, because obviously the first thing that sprang to my mind when I read that wipe the tears away line was, I just started reciting the line from Titanic. And like movies, big movies, especially like Titanic level, Blade Runner level, those kinds of movies, they, they leave an impact on the world that, in Blade Runner, for instance, there you have um, Rick Deckard, who's the Harrison Ford character, and he's pursuing um, a replicant, which is a robot that has been like a an android, fully human looking, but they are robots and they have limited lifespans uh, because of like the battery technology wasn't that great. Um, and this replicant, uh, Roy Batty, he's found freedom, he's found humanity. And in the final scene, it's this big, tense chase across the rooftops um, in the city, and Deckard slips. He misses a jump, and the replicant comes back and pulls him up to safety and then delivers this wonderful piece of cinema. I've seen things you wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. 
all those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. And it's such a brilliant piece of, of screenwriting because here you have something that is without a soul, if you believe in that idea. This is a machine that has found yeah. beauty in humanity and with its dying capacity, <laughs> um, because the, he, he dies after this, his, his power runs out, um, he just captures the essence of humanity. And especially on a Mother's Day, it's important to reflect, I feel, on our shared humanity. And part of that shared humanity is the ability to cry for whatever reason you feel fit. Yeah. Yeah. Would, you, would you permit me then to read the quotes I drew out for Mother's Day? Because that, for me, attaches, attaches, attaches uh, it to the dying words of that robot. Mm. Um, when you going, it was when he went, when he was going down, that he saw the the bigger picture, that he, he imagined the, the 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 what he was losing, if I can put it like that. We, we had a glimpse of the experience. Mahatma Gandhi wrote something like this. He said, "It may be possible to gild poor pure gold, but who can make his mother more beautiful?" The challenge to how we actually look at our mothers, because many of us look at mothers sometimes and we have critical eyes and look at their shortcomings. Um, the unknown, an unknown writer says motherhood is the, the exquisite inconvenience of being another person's everything. I thought that was a very beautiful way of describing motherhood. And then the last one written by Maxim Grosky, only mothers can think of the future because they give birth to it in their children. I thought that was a very brilliant mm. statement being made. Giving birth to the future, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Um, others give birth to the future. And so the, the, the tears, or the three I have for tears, are equally good. One comes from Psalm 56. Tears are prayers too. They travel to God when we cannot speak. Um, the And then uh, Washington Irving says, there is a sacredness in tears. They are not the mark of weakness, but of power. And then John Cheney says, the soul would have no rainbow had the eyes no tears. Thanks very much, Lindsay. I appreciate this conversation. And more so, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening, everybody. See you next week.